And we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords this day as we worship together. Glad you could be with us. If you're visiting, please fill out one of those blue cards found in the pew racks. And please stay around a moment so we can greet you following the service. Just a reminder that next Sunday morning, on Christmas morning, we will have a service here at the regular time of 9.30 with no Sunday school to follow. Also, if you have uh, a desire to remember or honor loved ones with uh, poinsettias, you can make that arrangement with the church office. The varsity is out of town today, so the second string is here <laughs> and uh, filling in. Let's begin with prayer. We have much for which to sing, O oh Lord, and for which to be grateful. You have given us far beyond measure of what we deserve and way beyond what we would even desire because you have surprised us again and again with your goodness. You have helped us when we asked and you've helped us when we didn't ask. You've honored us with your presence when we didn't deserve it. And we are here today to be grateful and to express that gratitude to you for giving us redemption, for giving us your only son, for giving us your life and, and giving us eternal life. So be glorified in this service, we pray, in this season as well. We make our prayer in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray when on earth, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we continue our Advent season and the lighting of the candles of hope, peace, joy, and love, we are ever so close to the time when we recall Jesus' birth as well as his second coming. May the Lord use this season to draw you and your family closer to him. First, we relight the candle of hope as we are reminded that Jesus is our only hope. Next, we relight the candle of peace as we are reminded that Jesus himself is our peace. Next, we relight the candle of joy as we are reminded that Jesus is our true joy. Now we light the candle of love. As Jesus' birth draws near, we are reminded of how much God loves us and what this love led him to do for us. John 3.16 is clear. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This love of God not only changes our lives, but his love commands us to love others the same way God loves us. 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Jesus himself commanded us in John 13, 34 through 35, saying, Just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. It is our prayer through this season that you and your family will experience the wonderful, saving love of God in Jesus Christ and demonstrate this same love to others. Amen. And in response, we confess our faith now using these catechism questions. Let's responsibly read them. Question 69, what is the communion in grace which the members of the invisible church have with Christ? The communion in grace which the members of the invisible church have with Christ. 
is their partaking of the virtue of his mediation in their justification, adoption, sanctification, and whatever else in this life manifests their union with him. Question 70. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace to sinners in which he pardons all their sins, accepts and accounts their persons right, not for anything done by them, but only for the perfect obedience and full satisfaction of Christ by God imputed to them and received by faith alone. And now to acknowledge that we need him and his forgiveness, we come to the call to confession from Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment to which we have all fallen short. And our response is to confess before him and each other our need of him. Let us repeat this prayer together and make it from our hearts. Loving Father, Jesus taught us that to love you and to love our neighbor is to fulfill the whole law. We confess that they have sinned against you and that you have not loved you with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Nor have we loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we confess that we are often willing to seek your grace, to grow in our love for others, and for others. We are selfish, we are prideful, we are immature. Forgive us and change our hearts, we pray. In the name of our loving Savior, amen. Let us take a moment to acknowledge our personal sins as well before the Lord. Just as our sins are too many to number, O Lord, so our blessings from you are also manifest. And we thank you this morning that we can acknowledge freely and openly our need of a Savior who has been provided and in whose name we pray this day. Amen. The assurance of pardon from 1 John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. give you thanks, O Lord, for all that we have has come from you. Nothing that we could do would earn or deserve our salvation, but you have provided it for us, and we respond with thanksgiving and praise. Use these gifts, we pray, that the world may know that the Savior has come, the light of the world. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, and to him we dedicate these gifts. Amen. Good morning. I would actually consider myself third string, but... 
So we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 6 today. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 36. And this is, uh, takes place in what they refer to as the Sermon on the Plain. Um, and it describes Jesus coming down and teaching. And so you'll find here much of the same teaching that you find in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 on the Sermon on the Mount. But let's go ahead and read. Verse 27 says this, But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And to one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do to them also. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great in heaven, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Pray with me, please. Father, we give you thanks again for this day of worship, and Father, we know that we've come together to hear your word and to be in your presence, and we ask that you would be here with us now, open our hearts and our minds to learn from Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen. So today in our Advent season, we're focusing on love. And um, it's another one of those themes that everybody loves. Uh, love warms our heart. When we think about uh, our gathering ourselves with family and friends, around meals, uh, we anticipate our gatherings, our Christmas gatherings. Who doesn't look forward to those types of things uh, in our society, in our culture at large, uh, is warmed by thoughts of love. And as wonderful as it is to be surrounded by people that we love, by loving relationships, it is hard for us at the same time, to think about those and consciously love those who don't make our hearts feel warm. And naturally at this time, we begin to think about those who make us feel good. Think about love in terms of what makes us feel loved. We love those who love us. When we think about Christmas time, we generally do not think about loving our enemies. But the concept of loving our enemies is not foreign to Christmas, even though you don't see it in the department stores. It is inseparable from the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And that's because Jesus did not come to let the good times roll in Bethlehem. 
He came to his own, and they did not receive him. Shortly after his birth, Herod sought to kill him. When he began his ministry in his hometown, the people of his hometown wanted to throw him off a cliff. His own family members, as we see in Mark chapter 3, thought he was out of his mind. And they, his brothers did not believe in him. At least before he, uh, he was crucified, we see in John chapter 7. That is to say that God sent his son into a world of his enemies, people who rejected him. He gave his son what is the most precious of gifts, to die out of love for his enemies. So this Christmas is a perfect time to remember that we are to love. Jesus calls us to love, to love God and to love our neighbor and to love our enemy. But first we're going to talk about who is our enemy? Who is Jesus talking about? Who is he talking to? Verse 27 says, I say to you who hear. And uh, as I had mentioned, this comes from the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, Jesus is ministering after he goes up in a night of prayer on the mountain. He prays and he calls his disciples to him. Out of a larger group of disciples, he calls 12 to be his apostles. And there had also gathered a great multitude of people. People who were following him, people who had a general interest, people who were sick, who needed healing, or had unclean spirits. And so there was a great crowd consisting of people who didn't necessarily believe in him, but who were interested, people who wanted healing. Then there were those who followed him, and then specifically the 12 who he had called apostles. So Jesus is teaching all of them. And... To, to go back a little bit to verse 20, he talks about the, uh, basically the Beatitudes of um, Luke chapter 6. And he divides humanity sort of in, in a way into two. Those who look at the world and see what they can get out of it here and now. And those who look to eternity. Those who hear Jesus' word and put it into practice, and those who reject his word, who do not hear it. And he likens these two, these two groups to the people of old who heard the prophet's words and listened to them, and the people who rejected the prophets and turned to false prophets. And so we see, we see that uh, in verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because... For behold, your reward, reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And then in 26, woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the prophets. So he's talking to these people. Blessed are the poor, woe to those who uh, do not receive him. And he's saying, so he continues, I say to you who hear. So as a result of following Jesus, the, the followers of Jesus, the outlook that we have on life is transformed. We no longer seek riches in this world or satisfaction in this world or entertainment in this world, the approval of those who belong to this world. Jesus transforms our life. Through faith in Jesus, we are transformed to desire righteousness. And as a result, 
we become objects of scorn by those who seek their riches here, their fullness here and now, those who seek good times here and now. And so we will at various times find ourselves um, being hated, excluded, reviled, and spurned for the name of Jesus. But we are not to respond likewise. Jesus says to those who hear, to those who follow him, love your enemies. So what does it mean to love your enemies? When we think about love and how our culture thinks about love, it basically means leave me alone. If you love me, you will approve of me, you'll mind your own business, and you'll leave me alone. Now, if, you, if, if we get along well with people, then, you know, then it, you don't have to be isolated. You don't have to say, get away from me, as long as you do the same things that I do. But if you don't do the same things that I do, you can show love to me just by leaving me be. So love is easy. To love your enemies is easy, according to this understanding of love. Just avoid people. It means avoiding negative interactions with people, and that's how you love one another, according to this, to our, the understanding of our culture. But Jesus does not let us get away with such an understanding of love, but rather he brings our attention directly to those who hate us, and he says, love them, but also do good to them. So now, if we wanna obey Jesus, command to love our enemies, we can't just say, oh yes, I love my enemies. That love has to be demonstrated. We have to think about them and seek opportunities to do good to them. And he says we are to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who abuse us. So we speak good to others, which means we have to be engaged in conversation. We talk to them and we pray for them, which means we have to be engaging in intercessory prayer on their behalf. So if we take a step back here and just think about it this way, there are some who, because we are Christians, will hate us, curse us, abuse us from time to time. Jesus is not describing sort of an outward way of how to get along with people in a society where you're not accepted. He's talking about a disposition of the heart toward our enemies, such that we are inclined toward them, despite what they do. We're inclined toward them with desires of good, blessing, and prayer on their behalf. In order to truly speak well of someone who curses you, think about what, you have, what has to take place in your heart. You have to be so focused on who they are as someone made in the image of God that you see past the evil that spews from their mouth 
And then you return by saying good, true things about them. Things that God says about them. And you say those things for their good. And in order to intercede in prayer on behalf of your enemies, you have to desire that God's truth would be their truth. Praying that they would know God, that they would experience forgiveness, that they would turn from vanity and serve the living and true God. To have a disposition like that is very difficult. We see that's the disposition that God had toward us, his enemies. And that is very hard. But maybe we can say, okay, that's, that's something to work on. But Jesus takes it even further. Things start to get physical. The enemies to which Jesus refers now strike you on the face. Or they steal the coat off your back. Yet you are not to do likewise as a follower of Jesus. Turn the other cheek, rather, and give them your shirt. It's very easy when we hear these verses, and I think, as I've heard these verses, I've tended to think and, uh, you know, about situations of self-defense. Does this mean that if I'm just out and about and somebody strikes me on the face, you know, I'm just supposed to stand there and say, would you like another shot? Um, and I, I don't think that's what Jesus is speaking about here. If we take a moment to think about this, Jesus is talking about following him in a world that rejects him. How do followers of Jesus live? How do we respond when, in the service of Jesus, we are abused? Our minds and attitudes should be so transformed that as we consciously go about obeying Jesus Christ and we are abused for it, we're, we're not interested in hurting that other person. We are so focused on continuing in service of Jesus that we'll say, you know what, I'm going to keep doing this even if, even if that person hits me again, even if they say something again. Uh, it is a radically different way of seeing life. When we suffer, doing the will of Jesus, we should be so willing to continue doing good that we would gladly risk another insult or another slap on the face. And when someone steals from you, our disposition toward that person should not be based on their treatment of us. Rather, we ought to be able to say, if you need a gift, if you need something, I'll give it to you. This is how God has treated us as people. For instance, we sing in that song, How deep the Father's love for us, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. And we sing, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. And there we're identifying ourselves with ones who would have killed Jesus in order to inherit the world. 
in order to have everything for ourselves. We would like to take it all for ourselves. And Jesus says, I give you even more than that. I give you myself. He did not threaten. He did not lash out when he suffered. He entrusted himself to God, who judges justly and kept loving us and having mercy on us. And Jesus says in verse 31, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. I think also when I see this verse, what I've typically thought of is kind of rules for behaving in a society. If you are, you find yourself a, as a roommate in college, well, you know, just behave with your roommate as you would have that person behave with you. And we kind of think about it theoretically in a situation where all things being equal, just, just do to others what you'd have them do to you. We also say the opposite, which is don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. But in this context, Jesus says, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. He's talking about enemies who are already mistreating you. Not about a neutral, you know, this is a good way to live in this situation. He's talking about people who already hate us. And then he's saying, treat them well, as you would have them treat you. Not because they're treating you well, because they're not. Treat them that way, because I tell you to. Because that's how I've treated you. So you can't just leave people alone. You can't just say, don't bother them. I mean, there are times for wisdom when, when you should engage someone and when you should not. But we're talking about a disposition here of our heart towards somebody who we otherwise would not want to have anything uh, to do with. And thinking about their good and thinking about blessing. And this becomes a little clearer in verses 32 to 36. That is, if we do to people exactly what they do to us, how does that differentiate us from anybody else in the world? That's not how Jesus' disciples live. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And so perhaps you've seen you know, documentaries or movies of gangs, violent gangs, where people are killed and the rest of the gang mourns. They're, they're deeply saddened by losing somebody. They love each other. Anybody has, uh, can have somebody, group of friends, group of family members that they love. But Jesus' disciples love in a different way. The Christian life is a life of selflessness. And we are to lose our lives for Jesus' sake. And in doing so, we will truly find our lives. We will have life abundantly. Our reward, which is in heaven, will be great. And so just as Jesus began with his Beatitudes, blessed are you, because your reward is in heaven. You will be filled. And so we can live in this life in the presence of our enemies, 
not looking for here and now what we can get out of a person or out of a situation because that's not what our motivation is. Our motivation is seeking God's will, serving God, loving Him, and waiting for His reward. Just as James says, humble yourself under the powerful hand of God and He will exalt you at His due time. And he sums this up in verse 35. Love your enemies. Do good. Lend. Expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. I chose this passage because of this line, you will be sons of the Most High. By loving your neighbor, you show that you are sons of the Most High. And I think that was significant when I read it because the angel says to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So here is the one who was born, son of the Most High, teaching his disciples, you can be sons of the Most High by loving your enemies. Just as I have loved you. So we seek to imitate God and we show that we are his children thereby. How does Jesus love us? Again, we are sons of the Most High because the Most High is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So this section of Scripture is begun by a command to love your enemies and is then ended by a command to be merciful. And so here, Jesus connects love and mercy. If we were, if, if I were writing, you know, on loving your enemies, if we were given a speech like we were told in high school, you kind of lay out your points, you have the body and then the conclusion, and in the conclusion you sort of restate the points. Here he's restating love your enemies, but he's saying be merciful. And so there's a clear connection between love and mercy. Now, God is love, we're told in Scripture. In the Trinity, there is perfect love for all eternity, and that love is never disrupted. And prior to the fall, the love between Adam and Eve was perfect. And the love between Adam and Eve and God was also perfect. But what happened once sin entered into the picture? Did God stop loving? course he did not he continued loving us even though we rejected him his love was expressed to us by showing us mercy God had mercy on us his enemies so another connection between this passage and 
what we meditate on typically at Christmas comes in Mary's song. Luke chapter 1. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So Mary is understanding what's going on here when Jesus comes to earth in terms of the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus spoke to the fathers, to, to, their fa to our fathers, to Abraham, that he would show mercy to us. And so those in the Old Testament who listened to the prophets were listening to the words of Jesus. Those who received them were receiving Jesus even before Jesus had come onto the scene. And Mary is here seeing that the fulfillment of these things has happened. And Jesus is saying in the, in the Beatitudes, blessed are you who are poor, blessed are you who are hungry, you will be rich, you will be filled. And Mary here sees he has brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble estate, filled the hungry and the rich he has sent away empty. And Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 6, woe to you who are mighty, woe to you who are filled, because it's all going to end. So Jesus, the birth of Jesus, is the manifestation and the fulfillment of those things. And so as Jesus says, blessed are you, you can know that that is true because he came. And when Jesus says, woe to you, you know that this is true because he came and fulfilled the words of the prophets. Again, we see in Zechariah's prophecy, as we read today, that this was in remembrance of his covenant, that he had mercy on his people. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So think about that. Jesus is saying, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Because God has saved you from those who hate you and those who are your enemies. It's not up to us. We don't need to do anything to them, to prove anything to them. Jesus has come. He has proven everything. We are saved from their hand. And now we are called to love them. He continues, saved from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The birth of Jesus is the manifestation of God's mercy toward us, his love for his enemies. To remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him 
without fear. And so since we are delivered from the hand of our enemies, we are freed from what our enemies think about us. We are freed from the power that they think that they have over us. Remember Jesus' words even before Pilate. You have no authority except for the authority given to you by my Father. I don't have to be afraid of you. And I'm not afraid of you. And actually, you're kind of afraid of me. Even though you're about to crucify me. It's an amazing thought. And just as Jesus is standing there, so we can have the same faith, disposition, confidence in the world as we live day to day. And we're free to love our enemies because hating them does nothing. Anybody can hate people who hate you. But we show love to those who are our enemies because that's what God has done to us. We know that our reward is great in heaven. So the ability for us to love like this is God's grace that we see in all of the scriptures. It's rooted in what God has done for us at Christmas time sent his son, God the Father has sent his son to be humbled and to be born among his enemies who would reject him and crucify him. And God the Son giving up glory in heaven to come to earth for those who would reject him. We're reminded by Paul in Romans 5 that we were enemies of God and yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Ephesians 2, he calls us children of wrath, that we were once children of wrath. But we are saved through faith. But we know that God sent his only son because he so loved the world. And so now having believed in him, we are saved. And our hearts and our minds are continually transformed. And as we consider Jesus' words and actions, we are changed by his word and his spirit in us so that we value eternal things and not things of this world. We seek a heavenly reward and we are free from the cares of this world. We're free from the opinions of others. And we are enabled by his grace to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us, to show them mercy. Not in order that we can show them that we are better than them, but we show them that knowing God is better. Is better than knowing the things of this world. Having received mercy, we are free to look at our enemies and see past the attitude that they have toward us that is expressed through unloving words and actions and to see that they are people made in God's image who are absolutely helpless apart from God's grace and mercy. And now we are agents of God's grace and mercy toward them. So through Jesus at Christmas, God has shown mercy to his people and sent the Savior to save his people from their sin. And Jesus teaches 
his disciples. Now you go and do the same. I haven't worried about what people have said to me or about me. I haven't tried to take from them. I haven't cared about any of the things of this world. I've spoken my Father's word. I've done my Father's will. And I have loved them that have hated me. Now you go and do the same. And we can only do this through God's grace. But if you have not experienced this transformation, then now is the time. It's a perfect time to see the love of God and to respond to it. The love expressed even to sinners through sending his son into this world. It is done through recognizing that you are a sinner and that you had no hope apart from God's mercy. So believe in Jesus. His words are true. And true blessing is experienced through knowing him. Not getting good things for Christmas. Rather getting Jesus. So let us pray together. Father, we are in awe of your word. How everything fits together from beginning to end. How the word of the prophets was fulfilled in Jesus and how Jesus demonstrates through his life and teaching uh, everything that your word communicates to us. We thank you for your love for us, your enemies. We thank you for the mercy that you've had upon us. And Father, I pray that by your grace we would be enabled more and more to love those around us despite their attitude for us. We do that not to make ourselves great, but in recognition that we are not, but that we have only received grace and mercy from you. And that we would love our enemies so that your name would be glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now receive his benediction. Thank you, Father, for sending us your Son. Send us forth in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, as we go in Jesus' name. Amen.